Night Talk with Oliver Dixon. 13 minutes after 10 o'clock, send me a WhatsApp voice note on 0614104107. Tweet me at Oliver underscore speaking. What can we expect to come out of the medium-term budget policy statement tomorrow? Director and Chief Economist uh, at Econometrics, uh, Dr. Azar Jamim, joins us. Uh, Dr. Azar Jamim, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Welcome to Night Talk. Good evening, Oliver, and to your listeners. Look, uh, I'm sure questions around the fiscal deficit keeps you up at night and how government plans on filling that gap. Are we going to borrow more? Are we going to tax more? Well, we can't tax our way out of poverty and we can't borrow our way into prosperity either, especially if what we borrow is not used for, uh, you know, productive expenditure. Most of our expenditure and our budget is for uh, consumptive expenditure. Um, we hope to get some level of idea about where the mind and heart of National Treasury is as far as uh, at least the, the fiscal position of the country is. What, what do you hope to hear around some of those, those, those questions? Um, well, it's what, what I would hope to hear, but also what I'm likely to hear, uh, and they're two separate things, uh, and uh, the, uh, especially having heard the Minister of Finance address and addressed by him on Friday night at a conference. Um, at I the Kalima Mutlante Foundation's Inclusive that's, Growth that's Forum. Correct. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, where he basically said, listen, um, I cannot afford to increase our borrowings too steeply because the real concern I have is not necessarily the debt, but the fact that interest rates are rising sharply in response to the deteriorating fiscal situation and I need to borrow more and more. So if I'm going to control the amount that uh, we pay as interest, then I have to control our borrowings to some extent. At the same time, I cannot afford to leave the level of borrowing as low as as we budgeted for because there are additional pressures for expenditures. So what that tells me is that it's going to be a budget in between uh, neither Particular, neither excessively austere uh, nor uh, excessively expansive, uh, and he'll try and keep. He'll basically, I think, budget for a somewhat bigger deficit than he did in February, but at the, whilst at the same time not allowing that deficit to expand too too far. Um, he has uh, a, a particular constraint at the moment, and that is that government revenue is falling short of budget, unlike what happened in 2022 when there was a big overshoot. And the both of those outcomes have been a function of firstly commodity prices, especially of coal and platinum group metals surging ahead, and then uh, conversely this year falling back very sharply. And that's had a huge impact on the profits of uh, coal mining companies and PGM companies and we've been hearing some of the results more recently where, and obviously if the profits tumble by 60, 70%, then the taxes that they'll have to pay uh, will also tumble by even more than that. And that's what we're seeing at the moment. And that's why the government is now headed for a shortfall in revenue rather than an overshoot in revenue as we had last year, making it even more imperative to have to cut back on expenditure growth if it wants to prevent borrowings from rising too, too far. But as I've said, uh, it it cannot go beyond a certain point at the moment. He says yeah. 
cutting back expenditure too far is absolutely horrible and uh, it, it could it stand yeah yeah I, yeah i want us to talk about those two things separately right <laughs> mm-hmm. how far back can you cut expenditure to a point where uh, the level of austerity or as they call it fiscal consolidation which effectively really means the same thing in as far as national treasury is concerned how far back can you scale that without you know suffocating uh, um, the economy and of course we can talk there about public service and the public servants and the wage bill and all of that well that, that, that's part of the that's a very important part of the issue yeah and, yeah uh, and uh, personally he admitted to me that uh, his presentation to the national executive committee of the ANC uh, turned out to be a very tense effort uh, and uh, but I think he's still determined he's going to go ahead with the uh, Well, you must also be honest, it was a tense effort because the Secretary General didn't think he was prepared and didn't have all the information they were seeking for. That notwithstanding, uh, borrowing on the other hand, right, and I'm going to ask you here the normative question that seems to split economists uh, for time and memorial, which is for an economy our size, what is a healthy, uh, where's the line between a healthy and an unhealthy debt to GDP ratio? uh, The debt to GDP ratio, as he himself explained, is not the most critical factor. And I, I, I tend to agree with him. Uh, if you look at many of the developed economies, including the United States, they're running debts to GDP ratios of well over 100%. And ours is still only only 70%, although it's never been that high before. Yeah. And that's one important comparative. Yes, it's lower than developed economies, but it's never been this high. But more pernicious than that is that uh, uh, investors are increasingly demanding uh, higher and higher interest rates to buy up South African bonds if they are to do so because of their fear that all these pressures that are being put on the government to spend more will degenerate into a a catastrophic inflationary spiral in the longer term. And so what has happened beyond our control in a way is that uh, these perceptions have led to long-term interest rates rising from uh, uh, around 11% or 10% to 11% to levels of more than like 12, 13% over the last six months. And that's resulting in a huge increase in the amount that government now has to spend in just paying debt on its borrowings. Uh, the debt, uh, the debt servicing costs already amount to 18.2% of tax revenue. Uh, if I recall the figures that he presented, 111 billion rand is being spent on police, 250 odd billion on uh, um, healthcare, uh, something a little higher than that on basic education. And then 360 billion rand on, on paying interest yeah. on debt. Now, if you carry on on that path, then you'll have less and less available to spend on healthcare, policing, and education, and it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. You have to turn turn the thing around somehow. Just quickly on inflation, uh, a paper recently that I had read, um, uh, co-authored by a research group. Uh, that Michael Sachs is 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 a, mm. a member mm. of made the argument mm. that National Treasury has for the last decade or so underestimated inflation, 
And as a result, it's always been caught by surprise. Now, inflation is entirely mathematical and can only be 100% certain in hindsight. When you project it to the future, yeah. there's room for error, there's margins that may be off. This is why every economics group and, and data tracking institution has a different uh, uh, projection of inflation. Um, and, and, and National Treasury is in a situation where it must get it right more than any time before in the last decade this time around. Tomorrow we'll hear that projected, uh, or at least the adjusted projection that they have for inflation for the new fiscal cycle, right? That is to say 2023-2024. And hopefully therein we'll get a sense of how much they think uh, you know, cost of living will go up and, 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 and that sort of thing, at least in, in, in the 18, 18 months to 72 months projected outward. Um, wh- what are your thoughts around where, where that is concerned? Does National Treasury have some ideas about how to contain using monetary policy? Of course, they can't use fiscal policy. Uh, sorry, using fiscal policy because they can't use monetary policy. Contain uh, rising cost of living. Well, clearly, one of the things that they have to do is uh, avoid printing money to pay their way and simply to borrow money. Uh, The moment they start printing money, uh, then I think uh, we're on a path to disaster. But fortunately, we do have a central bank that is just holding the fort very astutely. Um, My latest quip is that we have three Uh, important gentlemen that are preventing this economy from potential total collapse and who are holding the fort. The first is uh, the uh, governor of the Reserve Bank. The second is the uh, Commissioner of Inland Revenue. And the third one is the Minister of Finance. And fortunately, those three institutions seem to be uh, pursuing very uh, responsible uh, approaches uh, far more responsible than many of the other areas of the public sector at the moment. Yeah. So, borrowing clearly... Uh, this... Yeah, to, to come back to your question of inflation, remember that higher inflation is ne- not necessarily all bad news for budgeting because the higher the inflation rate, the higher the value of services and goods that are bought and sold, and therefore the higher the value of VAT that is collected. So higher inflation in the short term can lead to increased tax revenue, not to decrease tax revenue. But I was studying what the government budgeted for in February, and uh, yes, inflation uh, this year will turn out to be slightly higher. They were looking at 5.3% average. Uh, the final figure is going to be more like 58 5.9%, um, which is probably ironically a reason for why tax revenues uh, may not fall quite as much as uh, might have been feared. Yeah. And, and going back to, 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 to borrowing, just as, as, as a final question here, if we were to borrow to cover the shortfall, how much would be enough? I mean, it wouldn't be all $83 billion, right? Uh, it, it, it would be a percentage thereof. Uh, does the minister have an idea about how much more would need to be borrowed to cover the deficit? <laughs> well, of course, he's got ideas, and uh, that's the big uh, uh, decision that he has to take. And my own hunch is that we'll see the budget deficit inc- being revised upwards from 4% of GDP to something like 5 or 5.5% of GDP. Yeah. But if you look at the what is being spent, and what has been raised in tax revenue, 
for the first six months of the current fiscal year, that's April to September, and you extrapolate it through to the end of the year, then you end up with budget deficits almost 3% of GDP higher than what was budgeted for. And he cannot afford that. Then the borrowings become unacceptably high. Uh, so I think it's going to be a kind of a compromise between the mm. two extremes in a way. Mm. And just lastly, uh, he's going to have to answer some tough policy questions tomorrow as far as uh, expenditures concerned. Stuff oh, they're, they're, they're very much. And the one that you haven't mentioned is, of course, bailouts of state-owned enterprises. Yeah. And uh, clearly there is one way out of that uh, pickle, and that is to uh, basically rely on the private sector to come in increasingly to uh, provide finance, but then at the, they want to stake in how these SOEs are run. Yeah. And that's the sticky part because the unions and some of the more left-wing ideologues within the ANC say, no, we don't want private sector involvement in the running of these SOEs. Well, the alternative is that they'll be run to the ground and uh, be get bankrupt and you'll have more and more bailouts of the kind that we've seen with the SAA and the post office, and now increasingly going to have to see with ESCOM and Transnet. Yeah, yeah. And uh, perhaps furthermore on, 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 on cutting back expenditures, one to not promise any more bailout, right? <laughs> and in this instance, yeah. uh, we'd hope to get a report back on, on the ESCOM debt that has been moved from uh, ESCOM's uh, balance sheet over to the sovereign uh, balance sheet. Um, and whether or not that has given ESCOM the necessary uh, wiggle room, so to speak, the financial well, we wiggle are, room yeah, uh, to get things told, going. We are told that part of the reason why load shedding has turned out to be a little less pernicious than we expected was because of uh, ESCOM has had a little bit more wiggle room to do what is necessary to try and reduce load shedding. So it's, it's a fraught uh, uh, terrain for discussion and debate and uh, and uh, politicking, uh, really. Um, but, uh, you know, on the one hand, you've got those who say, let them give everything to the private sector to um, fix, and the private sector will do a great, a far better job than any of these SOEs. Uh, and there's the other side that says, no, the private sector will simply exploit uh, the public by raising tariffs of, on, of electricity and uh, water and uh, um, and uh, to, to rail traffic and all that kind of thing uh, to unacceptable levels, and that's how the private sector works. And therefore, we want it to be remain in government hands. But we've seen the government is proving incapable of running these SOEs. Yeah, uh, and just lastly, uh, uh, social release, uh, social relief spending. Ah, uh, um, that one. That one. I feel that the government has absolutely no option but to extend that social relief for distress grant and that means an extra it has to find an extra 45 billion rand that would otherwise not uh, have been the case uh, for next year onwards um, the one where it may have a, a bigger uh, uh, capacity to uh, cut back is on public sector wage increases but then do there be a who 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 have uh, from the unions there but as we saw with the Springbok victory, you know, unless everyone works together for a common goal, uh, we're not going to succeed. Yeah. 
Unfortunately, public uh, servants may not be too happy with that. They feel that they carry the bulk of the weight and they're not being met halfway as they often message uh, through through uh, protest and through unions at the bargaining council. And of course, uh, the negotiations at the uh, public sector coordinating bargaining council are ongoing uh, as far as the next uh, increase cycle is concerned, if there were to be any at all. But if the government were to, what would the impact be? Economically, and uh, the, at least, uh, if, if of, of suspending temporarily okay. the social relief distress grant. Oh, it's, uh, then you'd have uh, eight and a half million people who have become accustomed since the outbreak of COVID to having a little bit of cash to go and buy basic, really basic food. I mean, how much can you spend over 350 rand a month? Uh, and to take that away from them, uh, you know, there's going to be have to be a hell of a lot of social work uh, ramp up of other social work to help them, but to bail them out. I just don't think it's feasible. I think uh, the expectation is uh, built up now for this to carry on as a permanent feature of our social relief uh, in this country. I, and especially in an election in an election year, I think it would be yeah. absolutely suicide for the ANC to pull that away. Yeah, we're going to have to leave it there. Really, really appreciate your time. Once again, Dr. Jamim, always uh, insightful talking to you. Thank you, Oliver. Keep up.